today's conversation, we're going to discuss ADOS reparations, which is it's a trending topic right now. Um, a lot of folks are talking about reparations and what that's going to look like. I have my own opinion about reparations. I know, Christian, you have yours. And I think it'll be a fruitful conversation. And, and hopefully uh, what I expect to come out of this conversation is just a better understanding of what reparations for black people actually means and what it will look like. Uh, so I, I don't know what you're expecting to come out of the conversation. Christian. Yeah, I think I think what I'm expecting to take away is, you know, of course, we're we're not going to have all the answers today. I think what I really want to know is and this conversation, I really want to get a feel for you of like, what are some ways we can learn from each other through our similarities and differences as it pertains to reparations? And how could we be like a pillar to make sure that we're we're generating black wealth and we're gemin we're generating economic wealth and we're coming together to do this because it's not something that's just going to happen. Absolutely not. And and I like the, the, the last thing you just said, there's something that's just not going to happen, right? Everyone thinks because we're having the conversation about black reparations that it's just going to actually come to fruition. And if we know the history of this country, we know that we're probably going to be waiting for a long time to actually receive black reparations as long as we're waiting for someone to provide it to us. Um, and that's my stance on it, really. I believe that black folks, ADOS folks could have had reparations a long time ago. Um, and that we don't need to wait on the government to come and provide resources to us. We have resources in our community. I hate when people say that we don't have resources. To me, that's just making another excuse for not doing anything. There is millions of dollars in circulating in the black community through these organizations that we have. Mm -hmm. A lot of these nonprofits have millions of dollars, have access to millions of dollars. That's reparations right there. Why aren't they disseminating and dispersing that re those resources, those dollars into our community to help empower our young people and to empower community members? I mean, I can name a few organizations that have millions of dollars that they're working with in their budget, and yet we're still running around here trying to fight for reparations. Yeah, and we're going to continuously fight for reparations. And one thing you said that stuck out to me is I think we have to get over this word resources because essentially it's just money. Because what I what I learn what I love about resources and my definition of a tangible resources is something that's unsubsidized, that's untaxed, that goes to a specific group of people and or person. So it's like if we're just gonna sum resources up to make it sound pretty and make it sound neat, we just gotta call it what it is and say it's capital, it's money. So mm. it's like we we have that around. We don't know how to deal with that internally. We don't know how to come together and say, look, I got a dollar in a pot. You got $2 in the pot. We got $4, $5. Whoever comes into that group and say, look, this is how we come together as a community. This is how we generate our own community. This is how we build wealth. We do it together. We don't rely on other people to disperse funds that some of us may or may not get. You, you know, you, you hit on a key part, and I talk about this all the time, right? And I said it at the beginning of this segment. We have capital. We have money in the black community. We have a lot of it, actually. We are, are probably, um, ethnicity-wise or racially-wise, we're probably one of the largest spenders in the world. I mean, if you, you add up the black dollar, <laughs> we keep the economy in multiple countries afloat, certainly in this country. Why haven't we gotten to the point where we can say, look, if I can go spend money at this other store that's not black owned, that's not ADOS owned, why can't I spend money with my own people? The biggest issue that I've noticed with black folks is we will support black business, but we'll do it one time. And I'm just going to be honest with you all. 
I cannot lie. I, I don't have a lying bone in my body. I have to be real. I love my people so much, I have to be real with them. Uh, what did James Baldwin say? Uh, I, I love you so much that I have to make you aware of what you don't see. I have to. Black people, we support each other one time. I didn't like the food. It was, it was something on my shirt when I bought it. I didn't like the person's attitude at the checkout line. So I'm not going to go back to that black business anymore. But we'll go to McDonald's time and time again and they do what's wrong. Yeah, and well, it's, it's multiple places, you know, it's, it's, and I'm guilty of it myself, you know, the investing one time, but I think when it comes down to for some people, and this is not everybody, because we know that there are large people who are supporting one another during their, you know, their ventures and their businesses and their operation, we have to continue to do so. But we can't just keep it focused on, because I'm going to say this, it can't just be closed focused. Because there's other needs out there. We need black realtors. We need black bankers. We need black doctors. We need black lawyers. We need black fathers. We need black husbands. It is a village. We need a black community that are saying, like, look, we understand that we could support one another. Just doing it this way is not enough. Mm. And it's not going to get us to where we ultimately want to be. You, you hit on something important there. We look at if we did a landscape of, of the black businesses, especially locally, right? Mm -hmm. We'll see that we have an abundance of black businesses in certain industries and sectors, but we're certainly not um, equally represented across the board. And you just hit on it. We need more black lawyers. We need more black nurses. We need more black doctors. Certainly need more black teachers to teach our, our young black kids um, the true history of themselves and how to empower and uplift themselves out of the rings of poverty, right? Because we're still experiencing that generational trauma. And we're never going to get over that until we first off have that internal reflection and, and, and get that self-identity back, reclaim that self-identity. That's what we've lost. And that comes through education. We need more black teachers. We have a lot of people that are in the restaurant industry that are black. We have a lot of people that are in the apparel industry that are black selling clothes and in the music industry. Mm -hmm. Can we say that we have a large abundance in any other sector besides those three? I mean, statistically, it could. But going off of eye test, to me, that's all you know. we virtually see. It, it is those three categories. And I'm sure it's other categories, but how do we uplift? Because that's what we're talking about, building those other categories up and influencing people to get into some of these roles and say, hey, I'm going to be a person that step in and say, I'm going to be a black golfer. I'm going to be a black tennis player. I'm going to do all these other sports that we're not typically known for, for the people that come under me and after me. And Elijah, you said something earlier off air that was important. It was like, our ancestors in a way failed us. And I think I'll, I'll say it on air quick so people don't accuse me of saying things <laughs> off, <laughs> off air. Okay, okay. I feel that a lot of our elders have failed us. Mm -hmm. They've forgotten about us. Uh, and their struggle to um, make it out of poverty, to overcome racism, they forgot about the people that they were supposed to be leaving something behind for. They forgot about the community. They took their nice jobs, they took their nice cars, they took the money in that vehicle, they packed everything up into those vehicles, and they drove out to the suburbs, and they forgot about people like us. Not all of them, but a lot of them did. And to play devil's advocate, though, 
I said, and and I, because this is so key to me. If nobody showed our ancestors how to do it, we can't hold them to this expectation where they could teach us how to do so. So where does that education come in where we could say, all right, if our ancestors come in and they're not learning these things, I don't expect to learn about something that somebody else does not know about. But the thing about failing, I think some families failed their families focusing on some of the outside community stuff. I'm somewhat guilty of it myself. You know, doing a lot of community work, it's really easy to lose track of, like, once you get home because you're like, I'm trying to solve world hunger. I'm trying to get world peace. I'm trying to fight for this. I need reparations for this. And I think the the reparation scope is, like, we're all fighting for this big umbrella of reparation. But it individually, if we broke it down, our reparations look different from one another, which causes separation. Mm. Mm. What 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 does reparations look like to you? If I had to ask you right now, to, what 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 does reparations look like to you, Christian? It's a loaded question. Mm. I don't I don't have an answer because I don't know what reparation look like. Period. So I don't know. <laughs> you know, by by definition, I don't know what it looked like. It never happened for our community, for the ADOS community. So I don't know how to answer that. I'll tell you what reparations looks like to me. Yeah, let me see what it looks like to you. It let me looks care like, what it looks, it like, looks like, like Black Wall Street in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, and we talk about Black Wall Street a lot, but I don't think we ever actually deeply intellectualize what happened in Black Wall Street. It was the first example out of many, but it was the first real example of what Black excellence truly looks like. Right. Mm -hmm. It was that blueprint of what the black community could accomplish if they only worked together. You had black pharmacists, you had black doctors, you had black lawyers, you had black realtors, you had a majority of the people in that community owning their homes. We don't have that anymore. We talk about the housing crisis that's going on. Of course, we're going to have a housing crisis when you got a majority of the people renting homes and the landlord can skyrocket the prices whenever they want to. Mm not provide services to make sure that 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 apartment unit is uh, is actually benefiting and supporting the people that are living there. We know that home ownership is one of the first ways for people to start to generate generational wealth and to start acquiring assets. Why aren't we having the conversation of how to get more black people to become homeowners? Holding these banks responsible who are responsible for providing mortgage loans to these people when a lot of black people are denied those mortgage loans. Monetary. Monetary value is a real thing. It goes hand in hand with capitalism. It is. And because we feel sometimes we don't have enough capital to do these things, we have to rely on those third party ventures and those third party banks and things like that to say, hey, we don't have enough money to do this. But because you have a pocket of money, we'll pay you this plus entrance for us to... To, to say we're going to get something tangible that's not necessarily tangible. If you don't have a deed to your house, is it really your house? Absolutely not. That's a good point. You know, and, and that's just that's just the way I think about it. So it's like we are forced. We're forced into these situations. We are forced as a people, as a community, as individuals. We're forced in precarious situations to keep us systemically oppressed. I, I agree with that to a certain extent, Christian. Um, you know, I was talking with some buddies and we started talking about white supremacy. And I think they got mad at me because I said I don't acknowledge white supremacy. 
And I'm like, well, what do you mean? And I'm like, no, it's white supremacy. And I said, white supremacy doesn't exist to me. And I'm like, well, elaborate on that, Elijah. And I was trying to be vague, you know. And, and I said, white supremacy doesn't exist to me because in order for me to acknowledge white supremacy, I'm first acknowledging that I am, as a human, as a black man, inferior to someone else. That, that I have to first acknowledge that for me to understand and to acknowledge white supremacy. I have to say that I'm inferior first. And then I have to say after that, that this person has control over my life and over my destiny. And I'm not willing to admit that, Christian. I'm really not. I acknowledge that we have systematic racism. I acknowledge that. Mm -hmm. I, I acknowledge that, that there is policy that have been implemented to strategically suppress and oppress black folks. Completely on board with that. Get it. I'm not willing to say, though, that white supremacy exists. There's no one that's superior than me besides God, the person who created me. Uh, and I know a lot of black folks who, who acknowledge white supremacy. And at that point, you're telling yourself that you're inferior to someone. And you know what that means to me? Once you admit that you're inferior to someone, they have control over my entire life and my entire destiny. I start to see myself as inferior. And once I start to see myself as inferior, I behave as if I am inferior. Freedom and liberation starts in our minds, Christian. Until black people, not only in the state of Minnesota, but nationwide, start to realize that freedom and liberation begins in our minds and that we have a lot more control over our destiny than we think, we're always going to feel like we're the victim. Mm. I'm tired of being the victim, Christian. I don't want to be the victim anymore. I refuse to be. You know, Elijah, I think, I think it's time for you to be mad, man. It's time for you to make a difference. Mad. It's time for all of us to be mad. And, you know, th thank you for, for <laughs> you raised some eyebrows when you was like, I don't. But your choice in wording. Oh, I be, I, I'm controversial. I, I, yeah. <laughs> it's okay. Clearly, clearly. Um, but your choice in wording of saying acknowledging it is not saying that it doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. You just say you don't acknowledge it because it's hard to acknowledge something that you're not affiliated with. And that's what I hear you saying. You was like, I don't consider myself to be inferior over anyone. And I think when, when you're talking about it in that way, because we don't have that privilege to fill that, and which some cases, black people do have privilege over other black people. Like I always tell myself, I'm more, like my fiance is more pressed than I am when it comes down to, to work and all this. And she has to work even harder than I have to work as a black man in this community. And that's something that I acknowledge and I understand. And it exists. It's like, how? How? Because this is a huge question. This is a question I ask all the time. How? We, we have to find out the how. We know how this happened. It was enslavement. It was oppression. It was fear that was installed to us. And one thing that I'm, as I, as I think about our whole segment of reparation is lack of trust. That's why we don't have reparations. We have the lack of trust within our community. And that's not something that we did individually. That's something that oppressors made us feel. Divide and conquer. Mm. Willie Lynch letter, 13 colonies, Virginia. That letter 
is the reason we are still systemically messed up right now. And and, in that letter, for those who don't know, I actually went on and read that letter on live months ago. But uh, Willie Lynch uh, supposedly stood on the banks of the Jamestown River and he was talking to a bunch of colonists that owned slaves and he gave them a blueprint, a plan on how to control their slave. What I believe 500 years after the end of slavery. Longer than that. This is what y'all have to understand about oppression. Right. And about our oppressor. They're very intelligent. They're very smart. Um, and, th- and then said that that letter is a fictional letter, but what was, what's contained inside that letter is true. And we're seeing it playing out right now to this day, regardless of that letter being uh, tr- truthful or not, a- a- as far as uh, when it was uh, when it was written or how it was written. It's the contents inside of it. They said that we must pit the black, the dark skin versus the light skin, mm-hmm. the intelligent versus the unintelligent, the tall versus the short. The men versus the women in non-binary communities. Mm-mm. And we still see that unfolding to this day. So when you say that there's a lack of trust in the black community, there is. It's the reason why we have high crime rates in our community. It's the reason why we don't have black folks coming together and supporting each other in the ways that we that we could and that we should. It's that lack of trust in one another. And I like that you mentioned. It's not by our doing, that, though. That it's not by our doing. It's not. Uh, we're taught to behave that way. We're not naturally that way. We're taught to behave that way. And if you're taught something, you can also be untaught something. Keep that in mind. Just because we are taught something doesn't mean we can't retrain our minds, right? And shift our paradigms to think a certain, uh, to think a different way. But what you said earlier is that sometimes the oppressor is not always white or not always Mexican or not always Asian, right? Sometimes your oppressor could be someone who looks just like me and you. Mm -hmm. And we don't talk about that enough in our community either. And we don't call those people out enough. We don't hold those same people accountable. I mentioned earlier, we have a lot of these nonprofit complexes that exist in places like North Minneapolis. I'm going to be very direct. That's just who I am. We have these nonprofit complexes that exist in North Minneapolis who have access to millions of dollars, and yet we still have young kids who are struggling to get a job. Young people who are struggling to get into a two-year school. Young people who are struggling to get into a four-year school. Young people who are struggling to get a technical training or a vocational certificate to go off and make something of themselves. Struggling to get their small business off the ground. But yet you're receiving millions of dollars a year to support small black businesses. You're you're receiving million dollars a year to uplift people in your community. And you're not doing it. But the donors continue to give you that money. Man, and and, and it's crazy because... To me, the cost of living increases death. Mm. And what I mean by that is we are putting so much time and energy into work. If it's a full-time job, 40 hours a week, for some of my close friends, I know y'all working day in and, and night out, you know, 60, 80 plus hours a week. All of that time that we put into this takes away from other things, which, you know, which acknowledges and increases that hidden agenda that oppressors have. We we put all these different things. Oh, excuse me. All right, let me get this. We put all these different things into other things, into housing, into medical, Medicare, into business, into this. And this is this is how the oppressor think. We put we put all that into there. But we're not going to put it directly into the pocket of some of those people struggling. In this case, specifically the ADOS people, the ADOS community, we're not going to give it to them directly. We're going to give you subsidized. We're going to give you resources. And I quote that because the resources to me is just money. 
Because if it was about tangible outcomes, yeah, we have some free food distribution service, but we will have free housing. We will have free food. We'll have free clothing. We'll have free all that. But that's not how the economy works. That's not how economics work. It is the supply and demand country, capitalistic country that we live in. It is a, what are you doing for me? How could I benefit from you? Mm-hmm. And all of that is tied into the Willie Lynch letter because even after that language was stated about turning us against each other, we're still fighting that against each other piece while the economy is building policies, while they are building <laughs> every single thing that we don't need. High luxury apartments, high everything, just high. And we personally don't make enough money to support ourselves. And if we have children, we definitely don't make enough money to support our children. And that's the thing right there. And we're never going to make enough money as long as that we're, as long as we're depending on these social benefit programs, social benefit programs from the government to support us. I, I don't, I don't, I don't think that we need more affordable housing units. I don't. And people are another. That's going to be another eyebrow yeah, raising. You keep raising eyebrows, and, and that's okay. <laughs> I, I challenge the status quo, and mm-hmm. I have to live that. We don't need more affordable housing units. What we need is more jobs. We need more opportunities for people to get control over their economics, over their future, for they can be prosperous and they can grow. Then we won't need to have affordable housing because people will have more money. They can buy a house or they can sustain themselves. I'll give you some statistics. North Side of Minneapolis, Ward Five. Let's hear it. 70.9% of the people that live in the north side area, in Ward 5, 70.9% have equal to or less than an associate's degree. That means only about 30% have a bachelor's degree or higher. That's seven out of every 10 people you meet in the north side of Minneapolis, statistically speaking, has equal to or less than an associate's degree. Christian, we know that when you have higher educational attainment, you have what? Higher incomes. You have more educated population of people. They tend to make more money. There's numerous studies about this. Why why isn't anybody tackling that issue right now? But even what you just said, that is key. Because in order for us to feel like we're making more money, we collect more debt. So essentially, are we making more money? No, because we owe it. We owe it to these third-party vendors. So that, and, and that's why I say the system is the system. It's not going anywhere. We could disrupt. But I think what we have to understand is in order for us to get from point A to point B, we have to live these things in between those points. And people, the audience, you guys know what I'm talking about. We have to utilize what we can in order to gain freedom because we do not have freedom. So so when you have some black people that are against capitalism and they, they say that they want to abolish the capitalist system, how do you feel about that? And before you answer, I'll tell you how I feel about that. Mm-hmm. I feel like that um, getting control of our economic resources, capital, um, as you so eloquently put it earlier, that resources is nothing more than having capital. Is, uh, capital. 
in order for us to actually achieve liberation and freedom, black people must realize that we have to operate within the bounds of capitalism. Right. We don't have to become a, a, a victim of capitalism, which is what we have been being for a long time. But we can learn the game of capitalism, learn how to play it, and then we can succeed in the game of capitalism. We don't live in any other type of economic system. We live in a system of capitalism. So why does it make sense for us to try to have a rule book for, a rule book for another system and we're not operating within that system? That makes no sense. I got a rule book for a football game and we playing basketball. <laughs> I got a game plan for a soccer game, but we playing tennis. That doesn't make any sense to me. The game is capitalism, people. The game is capitalism. So why not learn the rule book for the game of capitalism and figure out how to succeed at it? Money is not the end all be all. I don't say this all the time. Money is not the destination. Money is the vehicle in which we use to arrive at the terminus of liberation and freedom. Mm -hmm. Understand what I said? I'm going to say it again. I said money is not the destination. Money is the vehicle in which we use to rise at the terminus of freedom and liberation. Black people. We must learn how to play the game and the rules of capitalism in order to succeed and to liberate our people. It's simple. We need our people engaged. We need them employed. And we, and we need them to, to, to have economic opportunities, economic prosperity. Until we start having those conversations, boy, we're going to be on this podcast talking about reparations for a long time. Well, that's great content for us. Here at the ADOS podcast. So I'm I'm not gonna lie, I'm kinda looking forward to that. But no, um to to go to your point, and I wanna bring it, I, I, I wanna bring it back just a little bit. I think there's life life is like a battery. You know, there's like positive and negatives in life. And the reason I say that is because no matter what we believe as individual people. Somebody else would always see a positive in something that we find negative, and we may see a positive in something that somebody else find, you know, finds negative. And the reason I bring that up is because for people who understand the capitalistic rule book, as you would say, they're not struggling because of capitalism. They're embracing and reinforcing capitalism because they are the benefactors of it. For us who don't understand... It's foreign language to us. Mm. And because it's foreign language to us, we only get the negative aspect of capitalism because that's all we physically are around and physically experience. Mm. So, yeah, we could learn that rule book. It's like, what are some ways we could work the system, work within the system? Let me say that. <laughs> what are some ways we could work within the system? So that way we're not saying, okay, although – we're going to struggle. We're not going to struggle to this extent. Mm -hmm. And that that kind of brings me to upward mobility, which falls on the children. And for those of you, our audience out there, viewers and listeners who are not familiar with upward mobility, that's just saying, like, what are the outcomes that that the child will make more than their parents? The progression. The progression. Mm -hmm. And the the way upward mobility works is – through per percentiles. Mm -hmm. So if the family is making thirty under $30,000, the odds of that child making more than $30,000, it's not a high expectation for them, but the likelihood is not. Mm -hmm. And then this is what's so interesting to me because as you go further on that graph, on that, on that chart, for people who are making millions, their children, they're more likely to make more than that $30,000 
but still less than their parents. Mm -hmm. It is the same thing. And in between that model, there are children making more than their parents who are considered anomalies. It's not a high percentage, but it just happens. And the reason I bring this up is because when we're thinking about it, whether we're 30,000 or under or a million and under, we're still not reaching the we're, we're still not reaching the highest point in which our parents did. And that goes into some of the logistical things that we're talking about of who is teaching us? Because you said our ancestors failed us, which in, in, in some aspects, our ancestors have been open and came out about like, yeah, we, we failed you guys. We could have did more. We could have did enough. But our ancestors failed because the system is failing us. We have to understand that system. We have to understand that capitalism in order for us to really thrive. Because whether whether we admit it or not, we are enslaved because of capital. Mm -hmm. We can't go anywhere without putting gas or in the our lack cars. thereof, or or lack thereof. So it's either we have too much capital that nobody gets, or we have not enough capital that nobody gets. So Judah and the Black Messiah came out. I watched it. Great movie. Um, Fred Hampton, Chairman Fred Hampton, is, is you know he's up there as far as one of my favorite and most influential black liberators. Um, Huey P. Newton and Malcolm X are probably at the top of the list, and, and following them, them two is probably Fred Hampton. And I love the movie, by the way. I don't know if you watched it. But Chairman Fred Hampton, he, he gave a definition, and I knew this way before seeing the movie, but just watching it again um, just really got me thinking about it again. Uh, he said that war is nothing more than politics with bloodshed, and politics is nothing more than war without bloodshed. I'll say that again for the people who might have missed it. I said Fred Hampton said that war is nothing more than politics with bloodshed, and politics is nothing more than war without bloodshed. I stress that black folks need to get involved in politics a lot, every day. The reason why that is, is that we are living in the war. It's not only a racial war, it's an income inequality war, it's a gender inequality war. There's a lot of different various aspects of this war in which we're trying to fight. Our only tool in a democratic society is what? Politics. And when we were off the air, we talked about, you know, I would add on, I would elaborate a little bit on Fred Hampton's definition of politics and war. I would only add that politics also is a system in which it produces winners and losers. And historically speaking, the arena of politics has produced winners and losers. And those losers have been what? People of the ADOS community. These are facts. So whenever I encounter a brother or a sister and I'm talking to them about politics and getting engaged on a local level, and I'm not saying that everyone needs to go off and be some type of political commentator. I'm not suggesting that. I would love that if every black person <laughs> would show that much interest in politics. I would love it. But I'm not suggesting that. That's not you know, a reality. However, I believe that every black person should be educated on the basis of politics and government structure. 
I think that should be it should be a pillar in the black community to educate our black people about politics. Not every aspect, but certainly most important aspects, and especially locally. It needs to happen. It has to happen. And it was happening before. You saw that happening. If you saw the movie, you saw Black Panther Party starting to educate people about politics. They would feed the kids, and they would also give them a, a political lesson. Mm-hmm. Why do you think it was such a conscious effort to get rid of the Black Panther Party and to annihilate our black leaders? Because we slowly start to learn the game of war. That's war. We slowly start to learn that in order to win the war, we have to learn politics. Politics is our weapon. And it's civil. It's a it's a civil war. And you know, the the way I think about it, it's like it it sucks that we have to fight internally with our people with oppressors. And I say this all the time, you know, we can't fight each other and fight oppressors. It's just not gonna work. It's two way battle. Yeah. And you know, that's that's a L. It's that that's just it's it's just a L. And I don't know about, you know, you guys to to our audience, but I'm tired of taking L's. We we are exhausted as a people, as a mind, as a spirit, as a body, as a soul, as a unit. We are exhausted because we feel like we have to be experts in so many different categories. And we learn how to become experts in those categories, not by someone showing us, but by force, because we run into an issue that we don't know about, and then we're forced to educate ourselves on that, versus if we were to go in about something that we do know about, we already have the answers to the test. We're, we're, we're obviously at a disadvantage. That's obvious, and, and I'm willing to admit that. Um, and people tell me to tone it down on the racial rhetoric and stuff. I'm not. I don't care to. Um, <laughs> I truly don't. Uh, but I'm not going to tone it down on the racial rhetoric. I'm going to keep talking to my people. I'm going to continue to hold my people accountable. I'm going to continue to say the things that no one else is going to say. We have a problem in the black community. It is a lack of trust. Um, and, and I say this all the time. I don't think we have much of a black community. We have a lot of black people that live within the zip code of one another. But that doesn't make it a community. A community is a a group of people that can come together and learn together. They can support each other financially. They want to see their kids prosper and grow. They want to see everyone that lives in that neighborhood do well and thrive. They believe in safety. They believe in values like love, truth, peace, freedom, and justice. They embody those things. And even after saying that, I'm I'm just going to ask, how often... Are we smiling when we see each other? How how often do we do we do that? You know, do we are we are we just gonna scold? Are we gonna bundle our faces up? But are we really gonna embrace? Because when I see anyone in my community, I don't care what you like, I don't care what you believe in, I'm smiling. Because I'm saying, look, I see you. You see me, I see you. And that's worth a smile. And you know, we, we live, I, I go to MOA sometimes, and I just don't get enough smiles back. I mean, granted, we're wearing masks, but before we were wearing masks, I used to just smile, and maybe it creeped people out. You know, maybe it was, but the reason I'm smiling is because I'm just happy to say that 
through everything that we've been through as a people, we are still here trying to figure it out. People wanted us erased from this planet. Other communities wanted other communities erased as well, and we and we understand that. But I'm saying for us, for the ADOS community, we have to start embracing how we view and look at each other. I, I, I like that you said that through everything that we've experienced and everything that we've gone through as a people, we're still here. But but I, and I hope this doesn't this comment doesn't rub anyone the wrong way. Um, I want us to be more than just here, Christian. I, I want us to be here, and I want us to thrive. I want us to truly be liberated and free. I want us to feel that you know we're living purposeful lives, and that we're giving something back to our community. I think we all have a responsibility as Black folks to leave this world, this community, better than we found it. Um, I think that we would be uh, at an advantage if more people in our community realize that, that our actions, right, our actions impact everyone in our community. And a lot of groups have figured that out. We haven't yet. When are we going to start holding each other accountable? No, and, and, I, and, and I'm going to touch briefly on the topic of public safety here because it's a hot button issue right here in the Twin Cities. Mm-hmm. I don't care if you have a thousand to a thousand ratio from police to, to citizens, which means for every thousand residents, there's a thousand police officers, which is over policing. And I don't care if you have a thousand to one, a thousand residents to one police officer, which means that there is not a lot of police presence in the community. You will still have violence until you start changing and shifting the paradigms of the people that live in that community. So they start to see themselves as a part of the community. They start to see themselves empowered. They start to see themselves as change agents in their community. And they don't want to take from it. They want to build it up. I don't care how many police officers you have or how few police officers you have. Until we get to the bottom of why we have issues in our community with violence, gun violence specifically... I don't care if we took the the police department away or we had three police departments in one neighborhood. We're still going to have crime Mm -hmm. because we're not getting to the basis of why people are committing those crimes in the first place. Yeah, which is. And that takes accountability. The resources. And, And accountability is key because if you don't value yourself, just this is just what people tell me. If they don't value themselves, they don't value anyone else. Mm, facts because you know how hard it is to 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 value yourself the the work that i do for the council for black male success we have a mirror exercise where every morning we're encouraged to just stare at ourselves in the mirror for 30 seconds Um, sometimes take a minute two minutes however long you want but the important thing about the exercise is like how many of you out there could actually just stare at yourselves whether you're telling yourselves you're beautiful, whether you're giving yourself affirmation or not, how how many of you could just do that? Because we have some people out here that don't know what they look like. Mm. I, I see my reflection. I don't know what I look like, though, because I'm not taking that time to really look at myself. And if you don't take that time to really value yourself and make sure that you are affirming yourself at times... It's really hard for you to do that to somebody else. I completely agree. We're we're going on 40 minutes. Before we wrap up, I've been reading this book, The 48 Laws of Black Empowerment. Um, you can check it out right here, 48 Laws of Black Empowerment. And I'm just going to read a, a, a short segment in here on cultural importance. 
Darthur says, if we gave back to our own communities, we wouldn't have to rely on the government for grants or anything else. Controlling how much funding we receive is one way for the government to ensure that our neighborhoods only progress as much as they want them to. When we take it upon ourselves to get things done, they can no longer continue to limit our growth. That's what we've been talking about this entire conversation. How can our community empower themselves? How can we uplift ourselves? How can we become independent, self-sustaining? Until we get to that point, I'm going to continue to have this pessimistic outlook on the future of black folks, and not only in the Twin Cities, but nationally. Um, that's my closing remarks. I don't know if you want to end it off, Christian. I, that's all I got to say. Yeah, and you know, as you as you all could see, this was um a very passionate subject of Elijah. He is 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 truly passionate about the whole reparation piece because you know, it takes a village, it takes a community. I always say you can't have community without unity. It takes us to rejoice, to reconcile, to come together as a unit in order for us to have the proper reparations that we want. And that's something that, you know, we could continue to talk about as we go further along, you know, and I, I just want to leave our audience with this. We, we love you. We value you. We see you. Just make sure you do it to yourself as well. And, and please keep supporting us here at the ADOS podcast. We're on Spotify. We're on Apple. We're on YouTube. And we can't do it without your support. And we really do value everyone. And love up on some black people, um, you know, every day, but especially during Black History Month. Um, I believe that black history is 365, you know, seven days a week. That's how my grandmother taught me. But, you know, do some extra loving on some black folks this month. Um, if you if you haven't shopped with a black business this month, make it your business to go out there and spend a couple of dollars today or tomorrow. Um, if you need a list of black businesses to go to, send me a DM. I'll get back to you as soon as I can with a list of some good black businesses where you should spend some money at. Let's slowly start to get to the point where we're turning that dollar around in our black community 5, 10, 15, 20, 100 times before we let it leave. All right. We, we need to prioritize economic development in our community. No one else going to do that for us. Right. We, we can provide reparations right now in our black community. If we came together as a collective, nobody else going to do that for us. Mm. I love you all. Um, subscribe to our, our, our YouTube channel. I'm really trying to uh, pump that pump our messages out on YouTube because we can reach a, a broad mass group of people. But also share our posts on Facebook. Um, a simple share goes a long way, and I appreciate that. I know Christian appreciates it. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're a podcast that really is dedicated to supporting the ADOS community. And we may not always agree on everything. Um, you all... Y'all are on here watching, you know, a lot of you are friends and family. You all know me well. You know, I've never been afraid to speak my mind and I'm not afraid of being contentious. That's okay. I believe growth comes out of difficult conversations. I will continue to have difficult conversations with you all. Hold me accountable. I'll hold you accountable. Um, that's what it's about. And never misconstrue things I say of me not loving my people. Just because I'm hard on my people does not mean I don't love them. I love y'all dearly. And that's why I say the things the way I say them. I appreciate y'all. Take care. Peace. Peace.